Hi, this is These Unprecedented Times, and I'm Claire Hogan with the Studio for Teaching and Learning Innovation at William & Mary. It's no question that this semester feels very different. Clubs, classes, and social events have all been completely restructured or eliminated altogether. Despite these changes, students are working to adapt to this new normal. One of these students is Jamie Holt, a junior at William & Mary. I first met Jamie when we worked together at the Flat Hat, William & Mary's student newspaper. She's a talented photographer, and apart from being the intrepid Flat Hat photos editor, she's also majoring in photojournalism, and she even has her own photography business. In a typical semester, Jamie would be taking photos at sporting events or helping out at her internship in admissions. But with COVID-19 limiting in-person events, her role as a photographer has completely changed. Instead, Jamie has launched a photo project to explore how the pandemic has affected students on campus, highlighting student voices that are often overlooked or misunderstood. We brought Jamie into the studio to talk about why she became a photographer, how she's adapting to socially distanced photography, and what she's learned during her time at William & Mary. My name is Jamie. I'm a junior. I'm a photojournalism and French and Francophone studies double major. Um, I currently work for the HR office. I'm the photos editor for the Flat Hat. I'm doing an independent study through the art and art history department, specifically like the photography section of it. In the past, I've worked for the Office of Admissions in a photographic capacity, and I've been a volunteer photographer for Tribe Athletics as well. But I believe uh, your position no longer exists with Tribe Athletics. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, so technically the gymnastics team is having a spring season because so they're finishing all of these sports through 2021. So they'll still have a season in the spring. It's just past that they won't have anything. But hopefully I'm still studying abroad in Paris this spring. So I will not be here for that. That's yeah. exciting. So your major combination is kind of interesting because <laughs> I've, I know that William & Mary does not technically offer a photojournalism major. So how are you doing that? You're correct. So I'm a self-designed major, although currently I'm finishing all the paperwork for it, which has been a nightmare because I was trying to do it before COVID hit and then COVID hit and the office was like, we're not filing these right now because we're <laughs> not here. Yeah. And so now I'm like, actually doing all the paperwork so pretty much you write like a one page this is why this is a legitimate thing please let me study this because I have no other options (laughs) and cannot transfer this late and like pick courses from they want three like main departments but you can have like a few from like other ones scattered without so like mine are in the art and art history department the English writing kind of department and then some in the film and media studies department with a little bit of anthropology mixed in. Interesting. So what specific classes are you taking and like what are you learning in those classes that sort of like applies to photojournalism? So currently I'm in a fake news class through the film and media studies department, which is like really relevant with the election coming up. So I've learned a lot even about like deep fakes, QAnon, all of that stuff that's kind of like exploding right now in the media. And then obviously like just regular like intro to photography, color digital photography, things like that. So so did you come into William & Mary, like, knowing you wanted to do photography? Like, how did how did you end up at a school without a photography program? At this big, I'm, like, literally the worst when it came to college. <laughs> I went on no tours. I did, like, no research into any schools. I applied to four colleges, got waitlisted by my top choice, and was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I forgot I applied to William & Mary. Fun fact. <laughs> I told everybody I was going to tech. Got the acceptance email and was like, I applied here and was super confused. Came, I'd never even been on William Mary's campus. My guidance counselor made me apply here, like as a joke, pretty much, because nobody had come here from my high school in forever. Came to DFAS, absolutely loved it. 
didn't really think, like, maybe I should check and see what they offer coursework-wise. <laughs> Accepted the admissions offer, came here, got about three weeks into classes, went, oh, crap, what am I going to study? <laughs> Panicked, thought about transferring to NYU. <laughs> That's a whole another story for <laughs> a coffee date, Claire. <laughs> but panicked and then reached out to the trial center because I had seen they offered the sharp seminar and some other journalism related things but I was like why do they offer these and don't have a degree in it and they're like actually you could self-design it we have a lot of communications majors self-design so I was like okay cool and that like put my mind at ease so I just stuck with doing that nice so you've talked sort of about how you went through the trial center like what opportunities through the trial center have you done so I was in the Sharp Seminar last year through at the Pulitzer Center for Crisis Reporting, which was like the most like real world photojournalism experience I've had thus far, which was incredible. You meet once a month on Sundays and it's like these really long sessions. Thank God for the lunch breaks because <laughs> your mind kind of dies by the end of it. But they bring in like outside journalists and reporters and people at the Pulitzer Center and you like learn from all of them and their experiences all while you're like planning your own article, you're gonna travel and like they'll refund it for you. So I went to Puerto Rico and worked with the Sato Project, which is an organization that rescues dogs and sends them back to the US because like dog overpopulation has been a huge issue in Puerto Rico for like pretty much ever, just because they don't have like the accessibility that we have in the US to like vets, spay and neuter clinics, things like that. And it's also just like a cultural thing down there. But then after Hurricane Maria, the population of dogs doubled on the island just because there really wasn't anyone there checking it. Wow. And so the Sato Project was already, like, established at the time, but they really, like, boosted their efforts after that. And that's how I found them. And, yeah, so I went down there and wrote an article about them and did a photo essay. And it's, like, the coolest week of my life so far. So Yeah, so was that kind of, like, a dream come true for you to get to do, like, an actual photojournalism thing? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Like, I had never <laughs> been out of the country. I'd never especially traveled alone. So that was, like, a whole thing in and of itself. Um, I grew up in, like, a super small rural town and had never seen the world in any capacity. I, you remember, you were on my first flight when we went to California. <laughs> yes. It's the yes. first time I was ever on a plane my freshman year. Terrifying experience. So, yeah, like, just in and of itself, like, that aspect I was super excited about. But I was just really excited to actually be, like, this is something I photographed. This is something I covered and, like, be really proud of something that I've done because, like, I feel like a lot of artist types, like, never are proud of the work that they do. Like, we do it, and then we're, like, a few weeks later, we're, like, this is absolute trash. I Why did I do this like <laughs> this? But, like, genuinely, that article, like, it's been almost a year now, and I'm still really proud of the work I did for it, so. Yeah. So when you went down there, like, what was that like? Were you talking to the organizers? Were you, like, interacting with the dogs? Like, what were you doing down there? So my first day there, I actually, like kind of just spent the day traveling around and getting to feel out like the city. And the next day I met with the founder of the organization, Chrissy Beckles, her husband. And then actually, this is such like a side tangent. I don't know if you guys know the doggist in New York City. He like takes pictures of street dogs. He has like 3 million followers on Instagram. <laughs> well, his brother actually adopted a dog from the Sato Project oh, wow. and was there the same week as me. So I got to hang out with him. He was doing like a rediscovering his dog's background like thing huh. so I met up with all of them on Saturday and we went around to like the different medical clinics that they work with we met some of the volunteers that they do things with and then like throughout the weekend and throughout the week we went um on like different rescue missions so I got to like live action see some of the rescues they were doing and then so they have freedom flights which is when they actually like take the dogs and like fly them out to New York and they're normally like in the middle of the night on these private planes 
And so I was actually there for the one they did in December. So I left during finals week. I took all of my finals in two days, which was awful. Oh, my gosh. Went there for that weekend, and I got to watch them transport 130 dogs to the U.S. like overnight, and it was like the coolest thing I've ever done. So, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, that just sounds like a really interesting thing to capture with like photography. Could you talk about what it felt like to show up, especially after taking all those finals and having such a stressful time to show up at that scene and like figure out how to capture that meaningfully? What, what was that like for you? Yeah, so I tried really to focus on, like, the thing. So, luckily, this organization, like, hadn't been really exposed to the media in the past. They'd had a couple articles written about them. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to cover what they were doing, because it's, like, very valuable, important work, and I really didn't see it being covered a lot or talked about a lot. So, I was hoping, like, one, my article could help bring some attention to their organization and, like, the awesome stuff that they do for dogs. Um, So, part of the issue, one, it was the middle of the night, the plane <laughs> departed at 1 a.m., so it's pitch dark. We're on this, like, private tarmac behind the San Juan airport. Wow. And Why were they sending the airplane out in the middle of the night? So based on, like, the since Puerto Rico is such a small island, you have to, like, be really careful with, like, when planes are coming on and off, especially being behind the major airport to the island. So you have to pay for certain, like, hours for you to, like, take off and land planes. So the cheapest hours are in the middle of the night because nobody wants to get on a plane in the middle of the night. So, like, their whole thing is since they're entirely, like, volunteer, nonprofit-based, they're like, we have to do, like, the cheapest option. So normally it's in the middle of the night to save money. Wow. So, yeah, pitch black, middle of the night, and then it starts raining. Oh it's, like, gosh. sprinkling the whole time. <laughs> so I'm trying yes. not to get my camera wet while still, like, doing everything. Luckily, the owner of the organization is actually from the UK, so she speaks perfect English, but then with a lot of the volunteers, there was kind of, like, a language barrier between Spanish and English, because I don't speak Spanish in Mm. any capacity. So then the language barrier was part of an issue, but really, I just tried to be an observer. I didn't want to put myself into it too much. I wanted to just see, like, they normally do these every few months, probably every two to three months. Um, After following Hurricane Maria, though, they did, like, three in the span of a week, which, like, was insane. But, like, seeing it once, I couldn't imagine doing that three times in one week. But, um, so I really, like, just tried to be a passive observer and just watch the entire thing happen. So I took pictures of, like, the volunteers in particular, dogs in the crates. Like, the crates themselves were labeled with, like, the dog's name, like, possibly where they were going. Because they dropped a few off in Florida and the rest went to New Jersey. I really tried to make sure I was taking pictures of the things that, like, if someone else was covering it, that they wouldn't take if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, and and so after you took these photos, did you, like, send them to the Sato Project? Like, are you still in contact with them? Like, what is your relationship with them like now? Yeah, so I've kept in touch with them a little bit. I know recently they had some, like, tropical storms and things hitting the island, so I reached out to the founder, like, the founder of the organization, was just like, hey, like, just checking in, like, how are things going, you know? And she's been, like, super receptive. Like, she shared her article on their Instagram, and I got, like, over 2,000, like, post views and people commenting on it and it was like that was in and of itself really really cool but we've definitely like kept in touch because their work is just so amazing and now that I have that relationship there with them like I definitely like want to adopt a dog from them one day I would love to travel back in a few years and do like a follow-up on how the organization has grown because like they're adding volunteers like every day and like getting more contacts and like for instance, like, they have a partnership with Tio's Vodka, who has, like, sponsored a bunch of their stuff. <laughs> the organization is growing, and, like, I just want to make sure, like, if I can help in any way, that my name is in there. So I email them probably once a month every now and then, just, like, checking in. So I've definitely tried to keep in touch, and I keep up with their work, um, especially, like, dogs that I saw 
on the freedom flights like they post updates with like the owners and stuff so it's like really cool to be like oh my god like i saw that dog taking their freedom flight and now they're like in this happy home with their family and like it's just the coolest thing to see and like especially the during my article i followed one dog named pinchada who we actually followed like i was there for her rescue and she ended up being on the freedom flight after the one that we rescued her on she had a very quick turnaround process because she was healthy Mm -hmm. and so i actually like saw like pictures of her and her owner together and it was just so crazy because I was like I was in that field where we rescued her on the neck like side of this busy highway and now I get to see like the final product of her being in a happy home it's just like the coolest thing you know so so do you see photography and photojournalism as like a way to connect with people like what is your what sort of drives you to be a photojournalist I think images are like the most important thing in like mass media right now because constantly you're having headlines thrown at you, you're having like, content thrown at you like all the time. Like it's very overwhelming how much yeah. news is coming out nowadays and it's so easy to scroll and like just go if you it's just text, it's so easy to just like blur through it. But like yeah. if you see a picture and you're like, "Oh my god, like what is this picture of? Who's in it? I need to know like who is this child in this image that, you know, like is getting treated for something or like, what is this like giant massive hole in the side of this building? Like photos I think are what like capture people to read a story. Cause I feel like it's very easy to just breeze through words, but I feel like images are like really like give you a sense of place. They connect you to the people in the article. They connect you to the place that's being covered. Like I just think images are like the most connecting factor when it comes to mass media nowadays. So when you first started doing photography, like before you even like knew how to use a camera, like when did you (laughs) first start doing photography? What like interested you about it and how did it become this like passion for you that it is today? I had, so I was that kid growing up. I don't know if any of you guys can relate that changed (laughs) what they wanted to be when they grew up like every week. Oh yeah. That was, I had no direction really of like, what I really wanted to do with my life. And I got to junior year of high school and I was like, okay, I got to start thinking about college. I've got to start thinking about like what I'm going to study, what I'm going to do with my life, which I mean, is like terrible for a 16 year old to have to think about (laughs) because like we're 16, we have nothing figured out. How are we supposed to plan out the rest of our lives at that age? But that's unrelated. And I was in my yearbook class because the advisor was a good family friend. She pretty much forced me to take the class. I'm not mad at her now. I was mad at the time. And it was a Friday. She was like, we need someone to take pictures of the football game. And everybody walked out the door. And I wasn't mm. paying attention. <laughs> so I was sitting there, like, cleaning up my stuff, ready to go to my next class. And she walks up to me, and she laid the press pass on my table and said, you're going to go take pictures of football tonight. <laughs> And I was like, I have never used a camera in my (laughs) life. Like, I mean, of course, like, I had made, like, little digital, like, the teeny Olympus cameras and things like that. But, like, I had never used, like, an actual camera. So then I spent the next three periods Googling how to use a camera. (laughs) Literally, like, on the class laptops being, like, how to take pictures (laughs) on Canon. Literally, like, that's what I searched. It was so bad. Went to the football game that night. It was atrocious. I look back at the work I did in high school, and I'm like, oh, my God, what was I doing back then? But I was on the sidelines taking pictures, and, like, I grew up an athlete. So, like, to be able to photograph sports for the first time, I think, really, like, made an impact because I just – I love sports. Like, And it was, like, that was the biggest thing was just being, like, not on the field but not just watching it. It was, like, this cool in-between where, like, you're actively, like, participating in the game in some way but not being, like, just a viewer – And I just, like, it just clicked. I don't know. It was the strangest thing. I literally walked off the field afterwards and was like, oh, my God. Like, I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. 
And I like, she was there and I walked up to her and she was like, how much did you hate it? And I was like, honestly, I didn't. Hmm. And she kind of looked at me cause like, we like to get at each other. Like she's like <laughs> my second mom. We really love to like pick at each other and mm-hmm. drive each other crazy. So I think she was hoping that I absolutely hated it and had a horrible <laughs> time. I, if she hears this, she's going to die laughing. But, and so I was like, oh my God, like, no, like I loved it. And I photographed everything for the yearbook that year. I photographed everything for the yearbook my senior year and just kept doing it. It was like the first thing in my life that I was like, cool, I could do this for, you know, the next couple of decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was that like? process for you like going from this initial like somebody telling you that you had to photograph something to being like a, a professional photographer you have your own business so I don't know if I'd go that far well, <laughs> you have a very fancy website I've seen it <laughs> I know that's there um so how did you like learn all these photography techniques like did you do a lot of like in-person stuff did you do a lot of like research how did you evolve your your photography skills yeah so I guess like a little background going back to like my hometown Arts are, like, not a thing where I'm from. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, like, the defunding of arts programs have been huge in my area. So, like, I, there was no formal photography classes anywhere. And, like, so a lot of it was just me Googling stuff, taking my camera out, figuring things out, seeing what worked, what didn't work. Um, I met some of the local photographers in the area at some of the football games and baseball games that I covered. And luckily, all of them were super receptive to, like, answering any random questions I had in the middle of a game and being like, why does this look like this? And why is it super dark? And why is it blurry? And so, honestly, a lot of it was very much self-taught and just, like, try and fail most of the time but every now and then like I'd get one really good picture and I was like okay like this is worth it like I could take a hundred trash photos but if I get one good one like it made it worth it and then my senior year someone came up to me and was like hey like do you do senior portraits and I was like sure don't like have never done portraits (laughs) in my life and ended up doing their senior portraits and they were like you know these were pretty good like you should like if you need extra money like you should consider doing this And so I just kept doing it and I shot senior portraits and I did like sports sessions. I did engagement shoots and I just was like, okay, like I want to photograph everything. Like come to me if like I did a lot of work for no pay, which wasn't great at the time, but like I needed that experience. And if that's how I was going to get it, then that's what I had to do. And, you know, I came to William & Mary and I felt like I knew everything about photography. I was so confident. (laughs) And I got in my first professional, like, photo class my freshman fall. It was called Photomania with Professor Dudek, who's the only photography professor here and drives me insane most days. But I also (laughs) love him at the same time. And it, like, wasn't, like, a standard photography course. It was about, like, historical techniques. And, like, I had never learned about film photography. I'd never shot film in my life learned about film, learned, like, actually sat down, learned about composition, lighting, all of, like, the rule of thirds. I'd never heard of the rule of thirds before (laughs) I came to college. Learned about the rule of thirds and then took intro to photo my freshman spring. And I think that was the class where, like, I finally started kind of, like, clicking, like, okay, this is how you actually are supposed to do this. Like, because, I mean, before this, like, yeah, my photos are turning out all right, but, like, they weren't great. Let's be honest. They were not great. (laughs) And, So that's when I really like started to get really professional about it and was like, this is the right way to do things. And I started saving up money and investing in equipment and things like that. So that's super interesting. So you sort of had this like hands on knowledge, but not like the classroom knowledge. Yeah, I'd never had like a professional like person really like sit down and teach me things about like how to even like like everything was self-taught with a user manual for like Mm. this Canon camera that I still use nowadays. That was my graduation gift from my dad from high school. And, like, I'm, st- I'm trying to upgrade, <laughs> but, I mean, it's, like, I learned that 
like you can have all the best equipment in the world, but if you're missing those like standard things that you need to learn to make compositionally make a good image, having good equipment doesn't make you a good photographer. And I thought for the longest time that like I had to have all the best equipment to make all the best pictures. And it's like, that's not true. Like you can go out and make like great photos with a disposable film camera from Walgreens. Like, and that was something that I really like learned when I got to school and like that really changed how I looked at photography. So, yeah. So going from your like pretty small town to William and Mary, like to study photojournalism, how do people, you mentioned that your town isn't super artsy. Like how do people from your town feel about you? Like <laughs> being a photographer, being a photojournalist, how does that sort of go over with people? A lot of my friends were like really supportive of it. Um, did they understand it? No. <laughs> a lot of my friends that go to different schools that were like my good friends in high school are like very STEM, math, science, mm, engineering yeah, focused, which yeah. I'm definitely not. So like they're very supportive, but at the same time they have no clue what I want to do for a living. <laughs> but a lot of it was just like breaking the stigma that like all people that go into art driven fields are like starving artists or that yeah. I'm like never going to make decent money or like this side or the next thing. And, like I've never cared about money personally. Like I want my work to mean something and like have a positive impact. And if that means I don't make a dime off of it, then I don't care. But, like, a lot of it was just trying to break that stigma of, like, no, this is a legitimate mm. thing. Like, this is an actual, like, career path that people do for right, a living. Right. That's, like, this thing that I'm still trying to break with some members of my family. <laughs> but a lot of it was just, like, nobody had ever exposed. Like, I had never considered, like, roles in, like, news and media and things like that in high school. Like, we just didn't learn about it. And nobody ever told me about it. Like, I knew there were reporters. But, like, I thought that was it. Like, I didn't know that there were visual journalists and, like, videographers and all these other things that work in a newsroom or work for news organizations. I never knew that. Right. And so, like, I think that's the big stigma now is, like, teaching people, like, you can do things involving art and make money. Like, you can have both. You can do, like, you don't have to be an accountant to make money. <laughs> you don't have to be a lawyer to make money. Are those things great? And they probably will make more money than I will make in my entire lifetime in one year? Absolutely. But, like, you can have a creative-based passion and find a way. Like, that was the biggest thing. When I started falling in love with photography, my whole family was like, how are you going to make this, like, yeah. a legitimate job? Yeah. And that's when I found photojournalism, thank God. <laughs> but, like, a lot of it is like, oh, my God, like, I love to paint, but how do I make money at that? And it's like breaking that stigma of, like, you don't have to be a starving artist to do something creative with your life. Yeah. So I know for a fact that you have made money from photography <laughs> you have your own business you've had jobs doing photos uh for for William and Mary I believe right yeah. so how was that going from like all the free stuff you did from yearbook in high school to actually being like paid for your work what was that like for you it was actually really tough and it's something I still struggle with it's just like feeling like I don't want to like undercharge myself but I also don't like feel like I don't want to overcharge people so it was very strange for the longest time like just being like, oh, like, oh, I'll take whatever you want to give me. Yeah. I did that for so long. I was just mm. like, if you want to pay me, pay me. And like, that's just not mm. like, I really had to start looking at it as like, I have the set of skills and I need to actually market it like it's a set of skills. It's like a legitimate practice. And I need to look at it that way. And that was the biggest thing for me, like transition wise was from going just to like doing senior photos on like a Saturday afternoon for someone and just being like, oh, like if you pay for my gas, like that's great. Right. To actually like thinking, okay, how many hours of my time am I taking the pictures? How many hours are going to be spent editing? How many hours are going to be spent uploading them and like reformatting them for my mm -hmm. website? And like finding the adequate amount of money that will represent that amount of time that I'm spending on it. And like, I still struggle with that. And I remember like the first job I got actually paid for. I was like, oh my God, like, this is <laughs> awesome. And like, I think it was only like 
a hundred bucks. But like, to me, that was just crazy because I was like, oh my God, like I did something that I enjoyed and I made money at it. Uh, yeah. Like that's a win-win situation. Cause I mean, like I'd only ever worked like part-time jobs to make money and you hate those. Anyone can <laughs> say they enjoy them. They hate them. They're lying. <laughs> and like I, uh, food service, especially. Oh yes. Oh yes. God. Food service, part-time jobs. But, and like, so it was just like super rewarding to just be like, oh my God, like I did something I enjoyed and like, I liked what I made and the product I put out and I made money. Like, yeah. it, it's, it was such a surreal experience, but it's definitely, like, still something I struggle with is, like, seeing myself as, like, something that's a marketable product, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of, like, both difficult to navigate and, like, really rewarding for you. Yeah. It's it, very much a love-hate relationship some days. There are days that, like, I just want to, like, quit everything and just pack it all up. And then there are days that I'm, like, okay, this is, like, what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So those first like paid opportunities, like how did you find those and what were you photographing that you got paid for? So people did start paying me for like senior portraits, but I guess like the first like job one I got was with the Office of Admissions here at William & Mary. They needed like a student photographer to come in and take pictures of like events that they were hosting, DFAS, et cetera. Of course, like all of those got canceled when I was in that position because of Miss Corona. But so I photographed things from like when they did brunch events with like alumni, homecoming I photographed for them. And basically it was just like uploading the images into like a bank where other people could pull from them. And then I also helped run like their social media accounts. So I posted on their Facebook and their Instagram and things like that. So it really turned into like photography and like social media marketing, which is something I had not a lot of experience in. So it was like really cool to like tandemly tandem I don't know the word for that like dually obviously not an English major (laughs) but like taking the pictures and not just giving them to someone else to like do stuff with which is what really I had done in the past was just being like here's a bunch of pictures I took do what you want with them to now like selecting okay this is the one I'm going to put on the Instagram this is going to be the caption this is what I want to go with my image so that was really cool to like have that experience with and you also mentioned, well, we're both on the flat hat together. That's how we know each other, the student newspaper at William & Mary. So what sorts of things do you photograph for the flat hat? Like, what is your typical assignment like? Um, everything. Um, <laughs> so like, I have some great interns now. I'm super excited to have some amazing interns that I've been able to give assignments to. But gosh, I've photographed portraits of people like the provost. I've done photos of President Rowe and her cats and her house sports a lot a lot a lot of sports which are like always my favorite to do so I don't mind doing those I mean really like anything I mean like when we have like comedians come to campus if we have speakers come to campus I photographed when President Roe got inaugurated I mean I've had so many incredible opportunities just last week me and you covered the Trump rally in Newport (laughs) News which was crazy but like I love the images I got there because that was a really really awesome experience we got to have through the flat hat so I mean really Anything anyone's like, hey, I need pictures of this. I'm like, let's go. Because it's all experience. Like photography, you're not going to get any better not doing it constantly. If it's something new I can photograph, I'm down for it. So, Is that like one of the things that you like about photojournalism and photography in general? Is that you get like a variety of things? Like, Or would you rather be on like a regular beat of like always doing like wedding photos or something like that? God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Having the business is great right now because it helps, you know, pay off my loan. And it's an extra source of income, which is like always welcomed. But long term, I don't see myself doing like wedding photography or senior portraits or things like that. It's great side money. But I think like what I love about photojournalism is it's ever evolving and there's always something new to do. Because I'm very much like (laughs) my brain likes to jump from one thing to another. So I think being stuck in one rut for a super long period of time, like I would just get bored. Like I've even found like 
if there are weeks where I'm shooting a bunch of sports events, like I'll get bored because I'm getting the same like feel of emotions from these images. Like I'm getting the celebrations when they make like a layup and things like that. (laughs) But like at the same time, like, and those images are great and I love them and I love shooting sports. But then like by the end of the week, I'm like, I feel the same about all the images, you know, like Mm -hmm. I have a few that stand out to me and I'm like, these are great. And that's what I submit to like our sports section. But past that, like, I'm not like really feeling it yeah whereas like like with the trump rally i still look at those images almost every day because i'm a nerd but i really do like i'll pull them up and be like oh my god like i am like insane like this that first image i posted of the guy's back when we were leaving the event like that one in particular i'm like i'm actually like super proud of this image and like you just it's like a certain feeling you get when you capture something you really like enjoyed and i think your work is better like that too because you're constantly like if you shoot nothing but sports then you're not gonna like look at things from a portrait point of view or from a landscape Mm. point of view. Like if you're photographing different things constantly, then you bring a different like view to what else you're photographing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, definitely. I I remember that moment with you where you were like, this is the shot. Like this (laughs) is a really good shot. Does that happen often to you? No, I'll tell you straight up. No, because I'm definitely, I'm like very much on the train of like loving my work one week and hating it the next. And it's like a very quick turnaround process of me being like, that's a great image. And then two weeks later, I'll be like, I'm going to delete this off my Instagram because I don't (laughs) like it anymore. Whereas like, so that feeling is super rare. Like I, I, especially, or at least I might think it to myself and be like, that's a great picture. But like for me to actively like show you the back of my camera and be like, Claire, look at what I got. Like (laughs) that does not happen a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So something like the Trump rally, like That's obviously like right now kind of a divisive thing. Like politics are hard to like capture. So how do you like as a photojournalist approach events like that out of like objectivity? Like where are you coming from when you're photographing something that's kind of like requires analysis like that? Yeah, for sure. I know for me personally, like I think like, you know, being an informed voter is super great. But outside of that, like I'm not really super into politics. Like it's just not something I keep up. I keep up with it enough to know like if something major is going on, but like I'm definitely not the person that reads, you know, political articles every single day. Like, it's just not my vibe. And I actually think that, like, works to my advantage in some aspects, especially like, at the Trump rally. Because, you know, I came in with knowledge, obviously. Like, everybody knows kind of the vibe that's going on right now in our current, like, environment. But, like, I really was like, okay, you know what? Like, I looked at, I actually follow one of the White House photographers who does mm-hmm. incredible work. And I was like, what are, like, things that, like... I can photograph from where I'm at because, like, I know, like, different photographers, depending on who they work for, have different, like, things that they're supposed to cover, if that makes sense. You know, like, if you're working for, like, a far-right, you know, publication, like Fox or something like that, you want to capture, like, things that might shed, like, good light on a certain thing. If you're working for, like, a more left organization, you might want to get pictures of, like, people not wearing masks and not social distancing Mm -hmm. to be like, this is not okay. Whereas, like, I'm kind of in the middle. I just wanted to take pictures of, like, what was actually happening. And, like, things that struck me. So, like, for instance, there's a lot of kids there, and that was something that immediately jumped out to me because, like, my family didn't really ever expose me to politics, and I'm actually kind of grateful for that because I had a very, like, unbiased raising in in that right. And there were so many kids there, and I remember specifically, you probably remember the image, there's a little girl sitting on her, I'm assuming, her father's shoulders. She's holding a Mago sign, and she has a pink bow in her hair. And I just remember looking at it and being, like, that to me it was, like, heartbreaking almost because I'm, like, while I'm not, like, going to express any political things right now, like, the right hasn't been representing women in this country super great recently, or at least with some of Trump's policies. And it's, like, just really saddening to me to see, like, a young girl who I'm assuming isn't educated about, like, you know, Trump's campaign policies 
supporting something that like could significantly like impact her life in the future and like that was just like heartbreaking to me so I took that picture and it's one of my favorite pictures I got from the event every time they chant it like four more years they held up like four with their fingers and I have one guy doing that and he's in focus and he has like a Trump 2020 hat on and it reads on the back of it really just capturing things that stand out to me because if they stand out to me they might not stand out to other photographers they might but they might not so I think a lot of it is just being like aware of your environment and like seeing like if it is important to you, then if you take that picture, it will probably resonate with someone else. Yeah, so I know the Trump rally was probably one of the few like in-person events that, that we've gone to recently because of COVID. So, and as a photographer, I'm sure normally what you do is you go to all these in-person events and you take pictures. So how has COVID, the pandemic, like impacted your business? How are you taking photos now? It's been rough, at least like in flat hat capacities. I haven't been able to do a lot just because, you know, a lot of the events we're covering are virtual or like it's things that are happening that might not have an in-person thing to actually cover if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like a lot of the events with like the tribe seven stuff have been like things being released from tribe athletics and like I can't photograph that really you know so in that aspect it's been really rough but at the same time like I've been able to make some really cool work right now I was already signed up to do an independent study this semester and I was going to like basically walk around Williamsburg and knock on people's doors (laughs) And, like, talk to them and literally just, like, interview them. Because I think Williamsburg is super interesting as far as, like, the financial disparities of, like, you have super rich populations and you go two streets over and it's people living in motels. And so I literally just wanted to go door knock on people's, like, hotel rooms or, like, meet people in the streets at bus stops or, like, go through some wealthier neighborhoods and door knock and just talk to people about, like, their life and be like, how did you end up in Williamsburg? You know, what's, like, your family status? What's your, like, life status right now? And Corona. Um, Obviously, like, one, that's not a super safe practice, constantly coming in contact with strangers, and you can't really be super socially distant. And then, like, also, I feel like people would just be less receptive of, like, a random stranger knocking on their door in the middle of a pandemic. So then I was like, oh, crap, like, what am I going to do for this semester? And, like, I just kept reading articles blaming everything on college students. And never really talking about, like, what was happening to us. Like, I know for me, like, all the internships I applied to got canceled. I ended up staying at home for the whole summer and working a part-time job because, like, financially I couldn't afford to do, like, an unpaid remote internship. I don't have Wi-Fi at home. I live in the country. I live in the sticks. Like, I can't do a remote internship. So, like, I understand, like, it's affected a lot of people. But I feel like especially college students were being left out of the conversation. Like, a lot of it was, like, we're blaming this all on young people, but we're not going to, like, actually ask, like, how they've been affected by this. Right. And so I was, like, you know what I'm going to do? I was, like, I just want to interview students about what they were dealing with. Like, I knew a student that had to move back to New York and lived in a super packed apartment with their entire family for the whole summer. So, like, but nobody was asking questions like that. It's kind of just like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll get over it. Like, I even had my family call me a drama queen because I cried in the middle of Blaze Pizza when they delayed our move-in by two weeks because I was just so excited to come back to school. So to have it delayed, I was like, oh, God. And I did. I got called a drama queen for that. And it was just like not having that receptive audience to be like, this is what's happening. We are also being affected. And a lot of us are doing what we can to, like, get this to stop. And it's just so frustrating. So I was like... I'm just, I put a post out there and like people signed up. I got 30 responses right now and I'm hoping to get some more. That pretty much is just like me sitting down either over FaceTime, which has been interesting to learn how to do virtual photos over FaceTime (laughs) or like socially distanced, like outside on a park bench or like grabbing coffee or something like that. And just sitting and having like a 30 minute conversation about like life 
pretty much and like what they've dealt with because of covid what they dealt with during quarantine like lost opportunities if they've noticed any positives a lot of students have been super optimistic and have like given me some really great things that they've gotten out of this experience and then literally taking like four pictures of them and posting them on my website Hmm. and like hopefully people read them but if not like I feel like it's super impactful work to just be like and even just giving students a platform to be like this is what I'm dealing with right now and like especially midterms and online courses and all these things that have been thrown at us most of us for the first time like I've never taken online classes in my life and I just feel like everybody was expecting us to just like rapid fire just be like okay with everything and accept everything and be like fine and then when we weren't it was like what's wrong with you Mm. and I don't think people realized like we also had shit going on (laughs) you know right Like, as much as, like, you know, people are like, oh, like, I got stuck at home for my job. It's like, well, at least you still had a job. A lot of students, like, I know, like, personally, I couldn't file for unemployment because I was technically still employed with the admissions office. Mm -hmm. So when I tried to file for unemployment because I couldn't get a job at the time, and they were like, oh, technically you're still employed. Even though you work zero hours a week because you're not in Williamsburg anymore, you're still employed, so you can't get unemployment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, things like that, and it just wasn't being talked about. So I really just wanted to, like, give students a platform for yeah. 30 minutes to just get all of this off their chest. So for the Trump rally, you sort of said, like, the advantage from, for you, for your point of view, was because you didn't really have a personal stake in it. You could get these really interesting photos. But for this project, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like, you have this very personal tie. So how do you think that sort of, like, impacted your interviews, your photography for this project that you're doing? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is, like, sharing like one just like an age demographic with these people like it's much easier to connect with them because like things that they bring up I can be like oh my god like I dealt with the same thing Mm. so like I feel like one that helps kind of drive conversations is actually it being a back and forth like they share something and then I share something and it actually being a whole like conversation not just me rapid firing questions at them and then also like it gives them the opportunity to really like it's not like they're talking to an adult that doesn't understand what they're talking about. Cause like I'm actively also taking online classes. I'm actively also like at the time was hunting for a job. Like, Mm. and so like, I feel like it made it a lot more of an open conversation and like they were able to give very honest, genuine and vulnerable answers for a lot of things just because like they felt comfortable talking to me. And I think that's like one of the most important things because I think if it was like a 50 year old man who hasn't been in college for 30 years and like never has to deal with any of this, they might not understand a lot of it or they might not ask the right questions just because they wholly don't know like everything that's going on. So I think that was one of like the major upsides of actually being like personally connected to this project. Yeah. So as you're like getting these interviews, have you been like surprised at what students are talking about? Like what has interested you? What has stuck out to you about the interviews that you've done? I think a lot of it was like how optimistic some students have been about this because I know naturally like I try to be an optimist I try to say (laughs) I'm an optimist I'm very much a pessimist when it comes to a lot of the COVID stuff and like just genuinely speaking to students and them being like yeah this sucks but here's some great things that have also come out Mm -hmm. of it I really wasn't expecting a lot of like the genuine positives that students have found during this i really was expecting it to be mostly negatives and like some like I remember one girl I talked to was like I got to be home for my mom's birthday and normally I'd be at college and I was like that's like a great thing that you know she got to have with her mom or like people being like I'd never spent this much time with my family before like things like that like how optimistic students have been during this was really surprising to me and even just like the adaptability of some students of them being like my internship got canceled so I picked up two summer classes Hmm. like 
I know I was not like prepared <laughs> in any capacity to do anything yeah. like that. Like I panicked. So just like learning that there were students that were like, you know what? It happened and I rolled with it and that's great. Like I think like that's amazing. So that was really cool to get to talk to people about. Yeah. Yeah. And and you said that you're doing some of these in person, but you're doing some of them over FaceTime. So how are you doing <laughs> how are you doing photos over FaceTime? How is that working? So you can actually like enable FaceTime. So I do it on my laptop and they have their phones because phone cameras are better than laptop cameras mm-hmm. for the most part. And so I asked them to use their phones. Luckily I haven't had any Android users. If you're an Android <laughs> user and you listen to this, I'm sorry. Get on your friend's like iPhone for me, please. <laughs> but there's you can actually like select to where you can take photos like through their camera. Oh, uh-huh. So basically, like at the end of the conversation, like I have them take kind of like a close-up headshot, and I click the button on my end when mm. I'm ready to take the picture, mm. and then I have one of them like kind of back the camera up and like prop their phone on something so that I get like a feel of the space they're in if we're not like physically talking face to face. Yeah. Because even though it's virtual, like I think t- like getting a sense of where someone is is very important. Like the first girl I talked to who also wrote a piece for the flat hat is currently studying remotely on an island off the coast of like South Carolina. Mm. So she actually ended up taking a picture for me out on the beach because it gave context Mm. to like the article and what she was talking about. I imagine a photo that you take over FaceTime would be harder for you to fine tune when it comes to composition and lighting, stuff like that. Is it a harder editing challenge for you then to take that photo and make a product that you're proud of that you can you can give to these clients? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit harder just because like there is the limitation of like, what can I prop my phone up on? Like, I don't want it to look like, you know, like a selfie with like the arm outstretched kind of like (laughs) that deal. So there's definitely limitations in that. Right. And also like not being able there to be like actually posing the person and finding the good lighting in the room, because like you can't really judge lighting over FaceTime. Like you just hope that it's good. And that's part of it. Like, I was already kind of had decided I wanted all of the images to be in black and white. But that was also just so that one, they looked more uniform since they were being taken with different like iPhones and different camera qualities. And like, so making them all black and white also kind of like made them look more uniform as a whole. And it was easier because you're working with like a smaller range when you work in black and white. So it was a little bit easier to make them all look cohesive. That's super interesting. One thing that I noticed while you were talking about that was like, you're talking about how it surprised you how like adaptable students were. And you were like, oh, I'm not adaptable. But then you said that you're adapting through like taking photos through FaceTime. So I feel like <laughs> Or I guess, like, because I had time to think about, like, Mm -hmm. how I was going to do virtual photos, I guess more so, like, in the right of students being, like, I made, like, I made these changes to where I still had a very productive summer. Because, like, while in my mind I didn't have a productive summer because I just worked part-time at Blaze Pizza and, like, died every day a little inside, like, I was saving money for, like, when I go abroad next spring. But it was really interesting for students to be, like, no, like I wanted to get ahead on classes or like I my internship moved remotely or like one of the individuals I talked to actually like got a remote internship in Philadelphia that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do. But since it moved remotely, they were able to do it. So things like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. If people wanted to find any of your work, Jamie, where could they find you? Where could they find your photos? Yeah, so my personal website is just jamieholt.com. So it's J-A-M-I-E-H-O-L-T.com. Um, and then I'm jamieholt6 on Instagram. Also jamieholt photography on Instagram. And jamieholt6 on Twitter. And I'm pretty receptive, so reach out. I know right now I'm still trying to find more people for this independent study. So if you listen to this or see some of the work that I've done for it and want to share your experience, please reach out. Like, I'd be really, really happy to talk to you about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in the studio with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Thanks so much to Jamie for talking with us. 
If you're interested in seeing Jamie's work, check out her personal Instagram at jamieholt6. That's J-A-M-I-E-H-O-L-T-6. Or her photography Instagram at jamieholtphotography. And if you have a story to share about COVID, let Jamie know. Maybe you could be her next subject.